You're listening to the Bible teachings of Reality Church Stockton. For more info, please visit our website at realitystockton.com. Our reading today is from John chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. No time for intros. Verse one, let not your hearts be troubled Believe in God, believe also in me. Now, it's no surprise that Jesus' disciples are troubled. It's not surprising that their faith has been challenged or strained. They are anxious. They are disappointed. They are confused because Jesus has just shattered everything that they thought they knew about following Jesus. So here's the context Uh, As we look at the sixth and second to last I am statement where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And it's found in a portion of the Gospel of John that is known as the farewell discourse because Jesus is going to repeatedly tell them in no uncertain terms, so long, farewell, avidasen, goodbye, I'm out. In the previous chapter, we read this. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? What the heck are you talking about? You tell us to follow you. And I don't know if you realize this, but we literally left everything to follow you And now you say, okay, now it ends. You can't follow anymore. Talk about mixed signals. Later in in chapter 16, Jesus tells his disciples in a different way. He says, it's for your benefit that I go away. It's good that I leave. So when we hear those words, we can't help but think about important people in our lives leaving. Fathers walking out. Spouses leaving friends, moving away, family members dying. And Jesus says, no, 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 trust me. This time, it's a good thing. Trust me. 
Can you imagine how difficult this would have been to process? After three years of following Jesus, and then he says what seems to sound like, okay, here's the end of the road now. This is where we part. I actually think that many of us can relate to this because what the disciples are experiencing in this very moment is what I believe every Christian will eventually experience throughout their life of following Jesus. And it's this, the struggle to trust that Jesus is for us when he feels far from us. I got a text message just recently from an individual in our church that said, I've just been going through one difficult season after another, and on top of it, I feel really distant from God. Like it's one thing to be in a bad season, but it's an entirely different thing to be in a bad season where God feels a million miles away. Over the last 15 years as a church, and I think even more so over the last few years, many of us here at Reality have experienced what John of, John of the Cross in the 16th century described as the dark night of the soul. It's a moment of like spiritual crisis. It's where something comes into your experience that challenges everything that you believed about life and God and how they connected and it takes you past what you believe to be your spiritual breaking point where now nothing makes sense anymore. You don't know how to progress. This is where we meet the disciples here when Jesus challenges their troubled souls. It seems impossible for them to imagine a way forward now. This is a moment of what today we would call cognitive dissonance. It's it's that emotional discomfort that comes when we have two or more conflicting beliefs or ideas or values at the same time. So as I mentioned earlier, Jesus previously said, okay, follow me, be with me always. And now Jesus says, and I'm going away and you can't come with me now. So the question is, how do you resolve that tension? It can lead to anxiety, it can lead to sadness, it can lead to stress, it can lead to overwhelm. And until we resolve these conflicting beliefs, we will remain incredibly unsettled and agitated. So, how do you reconcile these seemingly conflicting ideas? This is the tension that Jesus will seek to resolve for his disciples, and I believe is seeking to resolve for us this afternoon as well. Look at me again in verse 2. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Uh, in a recent movie called Ray, it follows the story of a famous blind musician named Ray Charles. And there's a scene showing a part of his childhood as his sight he was losing his sight he's maybe like five or six at this point and he's running into the house excited he's running into the house and all of a sudden he trips and he falls on the ground and he can't see and he's crying and he's calling out to his mom mom where are you mom where are you what he can't see is that his mother's just a little distance away in the kitchen and she goes to come to his aid, and then she immediately stops. She stops herself from coming in and helping him. And at this point, it seems, it appears like really cruel. Why would a mom do that? 
And after a moment, uh, you know, after some, some time of him asking, Mom, where are you? Mom, where are you? He finally gets up on his feet and he starts to utilize some of his other senses like hearing and touch and he walks to the fire and he feels the warmth of the fire and he's hearing the creaking of the floors and he's feeling the walls, the contours of the wall. And he hears the sound of a grasshopper and he gets down on the ground and is able without sight to catch the grasshopper and he stands up and he looks in the general direction of his mother and he says, Mom, I know you're right there. And it's interesting because what this moment captures is that through the struggle, he learns to sense her presence. Before the struggle, he didn't know she was right there. But through the process of the struggle, he learns to sense her presence. And I think the same is true for the follower of Jesus Christ. We make the mistake that believe, and we believe that the feeling of distance is the same thing as God actually abandoning us. I feel distant from God, therefore God must have abandoned me. But for the child of God, distance is not abandonment. Distance, we're told here, is preparation. Ray's mom was preparing him for his future. Jesus is preparing us for our future as well. Now, the idea that we can get from this passage is that Jesus is going to a place that doesn't yet exist to make it ready to sort of make something out of nothing for when we come there, or that he's going to do some sort of like fixer-upper renovations on our future place that we're going to be in in eternity, so he has to go get it ready. Jesus was a carpenter, so Jesus is going to go be a carpenter in eternity for us. But the place that Jesus is talking about is the Father's house, which is another way of describing heaven, which is already ready. Heaven's already complete. So what's he talking about? What it, I think it means is that Jesus doesn't go to prepare the place itself. Jesus goes to prepare our place there. The preparation that Jesus is talking about is him making a way for us to be with him in God's eternal kingdom. He is making a way for each one of his followers to be there. But how? And why does he have to go away to do that? Well, the sting that we experience in Jesus' departure, the sting that we experience in a perceived distance is nothing compared to the sting that Jesus would experience. This conversation is happening on the night of the Last Supper, which is the night before what? The crucifixion. So the immediate context here tells us that the departure is not about Jesus disappearing. The departure is about Jesus' reconciling death. It's important for us to remember that at the heart of this conversation is a conversation about sin. Sin causes separation between us and God. Experiences of sin, subjective, I'm sorry, experiences of distance, subjective distance, and the actual separation that exists is due to our sin. 
Sin has brought an unimaginable expanse that is too great for us to reach on our own. Sin has brought enmity that is too severe for us to pacify through feeling bad or asking for forgiveness or feeling bad and trying harder and harder and harder. No, but Jesus makes a way. And the preparation that Jesus is referring to is him making a way for us through the cross and the resurrection. This will be the way for us to be reconciled to God. This will be the way for us to be brought into the family of God. This will be the way for our place in heaven to be secured. This will be the way that our lives are renewed so that we can fully experience eternity with God. It is through Jesus' death and resurrection. And so what the disciples struggled to grasp, and I think what we may struggle to appreciate today is that when Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you, Jesus is essentially saying, I am going to die for you. I'm entering into death for you. Yes, it may cost you mental and emotional anguish, but I guarantee you it's going to cost me more. It's going to cost me everything. I am going to face rejection. I am going to face shame. I am going to face torment. I am going to face your judgment so that you can receive my abundance, so that you can receive acceptance, so that you can receive grace, so that you can receive healing, so that you can receive forgiveness. I will take your place in death and hell so that you can take my place in heaven. So in our moments of struggle where we're feeling that distance, and we're wondering to ourselves, where are you, Jesus? What are you doing? Why are you not here? Why are you not present? Why do you feel so distant? Why do you feel a million miles away? For the believer, every single moment of faith struggle, even the dark night of the soul, is God preparing us for what's to come. It's always preparation for the saint. Distance is not abandonment. Distance is preparation. Heaven does not need to get ready for us, but we need to be made ready for heaven. This is what Jesus is doing. When author Jade Mazarin put it this way, there's actually something happening while nothing is happening. God uses waiting to change us. That miserable, uncomfortable, sometimes painful state of silence is one of God's most powerful tools to set us free, if we're willing, that is. This is what the Bible calls sanctification, which means that the entire Christian life is a process of God transforming us, even in those unsettling moments of waiting. The Apostle Paul would put it this way in 2 Corinthians So we do not lose heart. Though the outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. What that means is that God will use struggle, God will use 
Suffering, God will use even seasons of him feeling distant from us, the dark nights of the soul, to strengthen us, to refine us, to prepare us. And the agony, and it is agony, the agony, Paul would say, is light and it is momentary compared to what is coming. Jesus goes on in verse 3, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am you also may be. So the language here is going to be lost on us, for sure. But to the original hearers, when Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you, and then I'm going to come back and take you with me. To the original hearers, they would have heard themes, and they would have begun to imagine ideas of love and devotion, and if you can believe it, even marriage. This statement right here is explicitly marriage talk. It is covenant language. Because in the ancient Jewish culture, it was custom for an engaged husband-to-be to go ahead and make arrangements for his future wife-to-be. And in their, what was known as the betrothal period, or what we call today the engagement period, he would leave her behind and go to his father's property, and there he would build an addition some sort of additional dwelling, some sort of additional room onto the, the side or near adjacent to the existing family property, sort of expanding the family housing complex. And in that waiting period, the bride-to-be would be expectant, she would be preparing, she would be getting ready, she would be staying ready, always prepared, because he could show up at any moment. So her job was to stay alert and when the time was right totally unannounced the husband-to-be would show up sometimes even in the middle of the night with an entourage imagine this scene an entourage of friends and family to take her back to his father's place for a wedding and a reception and maybe some other things and their entire future ahead of them So think about this, okay? Think about all that in your mind. When Jesus says, I'm going away, we think, oh, that's sad. But when Jesus says, I'm going away, he is making an explicit promise to his bride, which the Bible tells us is us, the church. When Jesus says, I'm going away, this is Jesus saying, I love you, and I am committed to you, And I'm vowing my life and everything to you. My departure is for the purpose of your future arrival. I go away so that we can be together forever. Yeah. If we don't grasp this imagery, I think it will have some significant consequences in our faith. If we don't grasp this imagery, what Jesus is saying here, I think that we will forever struggle to understand where Jesus has gone. Where is Jesus? And I think we're going to forever struggle to understand why Jesus feels distant. 
And I think we're going to forever struggle to understand what to do with the rest of our lives. This is the difference. Understanding this, grasping what Jesus is saying here is the difference between the Christian life being lived in agony or the Christian life being lived in bold anticipation. Jesus is coming back. Did you know that? It's a promise. And when he comes back, he's going to come back to gather his people, both the living and the dead, to bring us home with him once and for all. And for the believer, we don't have to cross our fingers that we're going to be in. We don't have to wait till the final moment to have confidence about our place with Jesus because Jesus died and rose again. Our place is secure. And we're not there in John yet, so you should probably read on in John 14 in your own time this week. And on top of this, Jesus has given us his Holy Spirit as a guarantee of our inheritance. Here's your ticket. You're going to get in, trust me. Verse 4 through 5. And you know the way to where I'm going. And you're going to know how to get there. But Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Thomas gets a bad rap, doesn't he? We, we, we even call him Doubting Thomas. I like Thomas. Thomas asks good questions. Thomas makes good demands. All the disciples are like, hey, Jesus is alive again. And he's like, funny. <laughs> no, for real, Jesus is alive again. That's funny. I'll believe it when I see it. So he asks a really reasonable question here. If we don't know where you're going, how are we supposed to know how to get there? It's a great question, but it misses the point. And here's why. Jesus, I'm, I'm sorry, Thomas is thinking in terms of simply a place and a path that we must take to get there. Where is heaven? Is it up? Right? The count, the, the like, Timeless debate, is it, where is it? Is it beyond the stars? Is it in another dimension? Where is heaven? Good question. And what is the direction that we need to go to get there? What do I need to do to get there? See, what Thomas is doing is he's approaching faith like many of us do. We want the roadmap to heaven. Give me the directions for getting there. Tell me what to do. Tell me where to go. And... Show me how to make sure I can get to heaven. What do we need to do? Where do we need to go? Show us. We'll do it. And, and Jesus becomes a sort of like spiritual tour guide to the afterlife. I am your guide to heaven now. Follow me. And I will show you all these things. I think we approach Jesus like this, especially in the Western church. But look at Jesus' response in verse 6. And this is where the famous I am statement is. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. First, I am the way. Jesus is essentially saying, don't you understand? I don't show you the way. I am the way. Heaven isn't just a place. The way isn't just some path. The way here 
is a person. You're looking for a place. You're looking for a path. And Jesus is like, hello? Often this passage, you'll hear this used in Christian apologetics to show that Christianity is not just one of many ways to get to God. You hear that today. There's the Jesus way. There's the Muhammad way. There's the Buddha way. And this passage is used to show and point out that even Jesus himself says explicitly, I am the only way. And and this is true. Jesus is exclusively, hear me correctly, exclusively the only way to the Father. No other faiths, no other paths, no other ways, but through Christ. And that's important. And that's helpful for apologetics. But the disciples here are not immediately at risk of joining another religion. The disciples are immediately at risk of believing that they are capable of reaching God on their own. They think that when Jesus departs and passes the torch, so to speak, I'm leaving, I'm putting it in your hands now, that it's going to be up to them to make it the rest of the way. So if they're just told how to make it, just tell us what to do, Jesus, and I think we can make it. They're at risk of thinking faith is a set of religious steps to take to heaven. Jesus gets me so far, and then I get myself the rest of the way. Meet Jesus in the middle. But the way is not a system, the way is not a religious system, it's not even religious steps. Jesus makes it clear, the way is a person, it's Jesus, and explicitly, it's union or trust in Jesus. So whoever will come to the Father, whoever desires to be saved, whoever desires to be saved from sin and destruction and to live with God in eternity and freedom, they must come completely through Jesus, not me and Jesus 50-50. Not Jesus and me 80-20. Not Jesus gets me 99% of the way and then I I get that 1% over the hill there. Christ is either everything to you or he is nothing at all. Or as the hymn goes, from life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. He's the way and he's the truth. Jesus is the truth. During Oprah's acceptance speech at the 2018 Golden Globe Awards, she was awarded the Lifetime Achievement Award, which is an amazing achievement. But what she said was striking. She said, what I know for sure is that speaking your truth is the most powerful tool that we all have. Speaking your truth. And that is a wildly popular phrase and belief today, that truth is ours to determine. Your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. Therefore, truth and the source of truth is found within ourselves. Now, there are so many problems with that, so many contradictions to that. We don't have time to go into that. But where it creates serious breakdown is where it collides here with Jesus' words because Jesus is not a truth and Jesus is not his truth. 
Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the source and the fulfillment of truth. The way to discover truth is not a journey within. It is not about self-discovery. It's not about following your heart. It's not about being true to yourself. The way of Jesus is actually the opposite. The way of Jesus is abandoning our claim of our own truth. The way of Jesus is saying, I am not the source of truth. When I look within myself, I find deceit. But instead, it's looking to Jesus, who is the very embodiment to all that is real and all that is right. It's where we get the name of our church. Jesus is the reality. And lastly, he's the life. We're all motivated by what we have determined to be the life. We sit on a beach and we're like, this is the life. I need to do something to make this my future. <laughs> or we look at someone who has success. Maybe they've, they're killing it in their industry or maybe they've got a lot of wealth or maybe they're doing well with their family or I don't know, some, something that we determine to be successful. We're like, you know what? That's a life. We try to emulate that. We try to live that life. But what Jesus says here is that true and lasting life is found in Jesus alone. And here's where it's good news. Because this is a life that is available to anyone, both winners and losers. Because there's probably a lot of things that we've determined, man, that is the life. But those are also things that we probably will never achieve. No offense, our church is probably filled with more losers than winners. Amen. <laughs> and yet Jesus says, here's true life. And it's yours. And it's yours forever. As you look at Jesus, well, let's look at verse 7 and conclude. He said, if you'd known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. What Jesus is saying here is to know and to believe me is the same thing as experiencing God in his fullness. This is a wild claim. That as you look at Jesus in faith, you are beholding heaven. As you trust in Jesus for salvation, you are aligning your life with eternal joy. In him, your greatest desires are fulfilled. In him, your truest wishes come true. In him, your deepest needs are met. Robert Murray McShane once said these famous words, for every look at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ. He is altogether lovely, such infinite majesty and yet such meekness and grace and all for sinners, even the chief. Live much in the smiles of God, bask in his beams, feel his all-seeing eye settled on you in love and rest in his almighty arms. 
Where do we experience a life like this? It's found in Jesus Christ. The way, the truth, and the life. Can I get an amen? amen. Let's pray. Father, we...